Good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. And again, man, what a difference uh, 70 degrees can make. Amen? No? Yeah? Oh, yeah. This is awesome. So, uh, so anyhow, it is, uh, we're, we're concluding this uh, series today on margin. And so if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Exodus chapter 18. I'm going to get there in a minute. Exodus chapter 18. Um, it's funny because when you do a message or you do a series on a subject matter as a communicator, as a preacher, you will, uh, you have to live that at some point, which is never the fun. That's why I don't preach on gluttony, because I just don't want to have to live that out, and <laughs> I like to eat too much. And so, anyhow, so uh, um, this week was one of those weeks where, like, this whole series really kind of came to rest. So I, um, as a senior pastor at Life Church and, and, and just relationships and kind of my stage in life and so forth and so on, I, I get asked to serve on different uh, ministry boards and college boards and different things of that nature. And so uh, springtime is when those meet typically, uh, fall and spring. And so I, I during, during this season of the year, I'm typically hopping a flight somewhere. And uh, if I can get in and out in a day, I do that because uh, I'd like to sleep in my own bed. If I can't, then, uh, you know, I try to stay like one night max, just kind of boom, boom, and go on, and I'll push it. So I'll get the first flight out in the morning, I'll get the last flight out in the evening, which is a bit dangerous, but, you know, whatever. So anyhow, this week, I'm in a meeting on Wednesday, and uh, I'm one of those Delta customers. And so, yeah, so 3,000 flights were canceled by Friday. Nuts. Uh, never seen anything like this before, but there was tornadoes or tornadic activity that was happening somewhere in, in, in the, that mid-southeast Georgia region. And so anyhow, so the flights are just canceled and all that, and they've got ground crews all over the place. They, don't, they can't get pilots where they need to go. It was just a big, huge mess. And so I'm in a meeting. Don't get an alert. All of a sudden, I'm looking on my phone, just checking it, because I have a 545 out that evening, and there's six other guys in the meeting that have the same. And so um, we're sitting there, and I'm like, the flight's completely canceled. It's the last flight out of Springfield, Missouri for the day. And if you've not been to Springfield, Missouri, it's just, the airports are just not very big. And it's just, it's not a hub for anything. And so now you have to go through Atlanta to get anywhere if you're on Delta. And so I'm like, what's going on? And so we immediately start getting on the phone, calling, trying to book, rebook, can't get through. It's an hour and a half. Uh, my assistant calls, gets in, da 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 da. I mean, it was just nuts. So, long story short, the flight gets moved to the next day. So I just said, you know what? I, I've got a place, and I, I grew up about three hours south of Springfield. So there's a place I want to eat for lunch. True story. <laughs> the best. It's my favorite pizza. So anyhow, so there's three locations. If you have to go to one of the locations in town, there's only, the other two aren't, aren't good, but this one is. So I grew up going to eat there. Every Friday night, that's what we did. Da, 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 da. I said, look, I, I'm, I'll just go out at the 545 tomorrow night. No problem. That's great. Da, 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 da. So I rent a car. I go. I pick up a buddy in, in uh, Bentonville, Arkansas, and we head down. And he's like, you're nuts. I said, I'm telling you, dude, this is great pizza. And so the whole time he was going, I said, I always trust a fat man when it comes to food. I'm just telling you. 
So we do, we do all that. I get back, drop them off, go back to Springfield, get there, get an alert on my phone. Flight's been delayed, 7 o'clock. Flight's delayed, 9.45. Flight's delayed, 11.45. Flight's delayed now, sometimes at 2 o'clock in the morning. That flight's not going out. So I go to the, to the de- to, I turn my car in. I tur- go to the desk and just say, hey, the desk agent, I said, is there any way, I mean, get a, give me a hotel, blah, 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 blah. She says, well, it's actually, you know, it's, I had this whole conversation. They put me in a hotel for the night, long story short, for 4.45 or 5.30 flight the next morning. Before I get to bed, that flight's already delayed till 10 o'clock, and I'm just going, oh, this is going to be one of those days. So I'm already 24 hours into this cycle. So I get to the airport, and, I, of course, I don't check anything. I, get, I carry, I mean, at one point there's like, sir, there's no more room on this plane. I said, I'm going to hold this suitcase then because I'm not letting this go. Meet, meet the parents. Uh, ben Stiller, are you personally going to, you know, this is so, it's one of those moments. So anyhow, so I, I'm there, and, uh, and so they said, Mr. Cole, we will get you home today. Don't ever trust what somebody else tells you. So anyhow, so I am there, and I'm, because I'm thinking, from Missouri, I can rent a car and deadhead it. It's 10, 11 hours, right? I can, you know, three hours to St. Louis, St. Louis, six hours to here, put my driving skills to work. I can, I can shave about an hour off of it and just get home, and so that's what I got to do. And so anyhow, I get to Atlanta, and it's a madhouse. Madhouse. I mean, crazy. So Wednesday, Delta bought 2,000 pizzas just to try to make people happy. I've never seen anything like it before. People are everywhere. All the hotels are completely booked. You can't go anywhere. Anybody with you, uh, uh, to get to, like, the call line. So even people with status that, you know, you, know, you, you fly a lot with them, you, you can't get in for an hour and a half, two hours. It's nuts. Literally, they, they, and they're canceling every flight to Milwaukee. So I get on. I get, and I'm standing there in Concourse B, B Gate B24, and there's a whole set bank of, 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 uh, of these uh, monitors that are telling where all the flights are going, and it's just cancel, cancel, cancel. I'm like, I'm on, I'm said, listen, your people told me, <laughs> it's like three circles in a snap moment, your people told me that I was going to get home today, and I'm getting home today, whether I have to, to, to figure out how to fly myself or whether I've got to drive a car. Sir, you're in Atlanta. You're getting to Milwaukee. I, I don't care. I'm just telling you, I'm getting home today. So right now, you have canceled every flight to Milwaukee. What is your prejudice against people in Milwaukee? we got to get home too, <laughs> right? We count. And I said, I just went to your gate. You just shut down that gate, and you sent it to Orlando. And I'm standing in front of another gate, four gates down. You're sending that one to Orlando. So you must love Orlando people, but you hate Milwaukee people. Mr. Cole, it's not, I, ma'am, I'm just telling you, you need to show some love to the MKE. That's all I'm going to say right now. I said, but because I don't trust that you're going to get me there, just tell me the truth. If, if you can't get me there today, just tell me the truth. Sir, I don't know. I said, then let's start walking through. I said, there's a Madison flight at 3.30. Do you have a flight crew? Do you have a, do you have a pilot? Do you, is, is a plane on the ground? There's no pilot. Okay, let's go to the Green Bay flight. I, if I can just get in the vicinity, if you can get me to Flint, Michigan, I will figure out how to get home. <laughs> Long story short, I said, right now at 820, there's a flight boarding going to Minneapolis. Can you get me on that flight? She said, sir, it's boarding right now. I said, ma'am, I'm asking you a simple question. Can you get me on that flight? She said, yes, sir. I said, I'm going to walk that way. I'm going to keep on the phone with you. Don't ever get off the phone with those people because you'll never get back. I'm going to keep on the phone with you because I'm going to go. I get right there. She's, I said, I'm here at the gate. Everything's good. I go. As soon as I get off the phone with her, the, the gate agent, God bless her heart, it probably had way too much that day. And she said, I do not know why you are standing here, but I do not have a seat for you. I said, well, I'm just telling you what. And she said, I don't care what your status is. I don't care, da da da, da. This plane's over, overbooked. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, she just, I said, ma'am, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go sit myself down right over here in this seat. And if you come up with a seat for me, then you let me know. But I'm just telling you what the, the Delta, you know, priority line said, da 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 that's where I'm supposed to go and everything else. And so, and she said, well, give me your boarding pass. Beep. She said, they, they put you on this flight, but there's no seat on this flight. 
I said, I can ride with the pilot. <laughs> At this point, man, I will sit in the bathroom <laughs> for the next hour and a half. Just give me a couple of magazines. I'll be happy. I mean, I'll do whatever you need me to do. My point is, is that I'm sitting there, and so all of a sudden she said, I got a seat for you. Not only did she have a seat, she had an exit row on the aisle. Holla, favor ain't fair. So I'm going, and I'm just like, oh. So I finally get to Minneapolis, get to Minneapolis, and I am just hauling from, from the G to the C area, completely across the airport, and I'm just going. I'm talking. Can you get me on? There's a flight right now going out to Milwaukee because I don't trust the next flight's going to go out. It was like that the entire day home. Finally to get, I didn't care. I just was so glad to be at Mitchell. I was so glad to, to be in the land of beer and cheese. I was so glad just to be home. And it's what life feels like with no margin. It's hectic. It's chaotic. You have, feel like you have no control. You feel like everybody else is in control instead of you. You feel like that you, 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 don't, you don't know what's coming next. You don't know what to do. You don't know who to believe. You don't know. And so, I, so I, I'm just saying the reason that I, it took me two days to get from Springfield, Missouri, 10 hours from here, to here was because of you. Because I'm preaching this sermon series for you and for your benefits. The Lord was trying to teach me some margin and some patience. And I wish I would tell you I was a perfect example. But I, I felt like a cheap suit about 24 hours into it. And so um, let's go back to what margin is all about. The definition for margin that we've been working with is that power minus load equals margin. Keep that up for just a second, guys. Power, it's your ability. We're all given an ability. Can we increase that ability? Marginally, incrementally. But, but the reality is, is you've got an ability. You've got a powertrain. It's, it's the way you're hardwired. It's your personality. It's your, it's, it's, your, it's your physical ability. It's your mental ability. It's your social ability. It's your, it, it's, 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 there's a certain amount of wit that you have, and you can develop that, but that's what you have. The load is your capacity. If you're an 8-ounce cup, you can't put 12 ounces into an 8-ounce cup. It just doesn't work. You can try, but it's just going to spill over. And that's what happens. We just try to put more and more and more and more and more until finally we just simply spill over. And, and anytime we're even bumped, we just erupt. And we wonder why. Because there's no margin. So the only way to create margin is to minus the load. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. What should I stop doing? That's the question I want you to think about today. What should I, talking about you, stop doing? In a few minutes the end of the message, I'm going to have you take this card. Not now. Don't do it now. Please don't do it now. I'm going to give you a time to do it because I think it's important when you do this. And I'm going to ask you to write the one thing that you think the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart today about what you should stop doing. It may be a sin. It may be an addiction. It may be a relationship. That thing you should stop doing may have a name. It may be an extracurricular activity that's in your life. It may be an endeavor. It may be something that you're pursuing that's not wrong. What you put on this card may not be a bad thing. But the enemy of great is not bad, it's good. And that's what happens in our lives, is that we have so many things competing for the white space in our life that we fill it to so full that we no longer have any amount of margin to do what God's asked us to do. And today I want to show you in Scripture how... We, how by minusing some load, by pulling back on some of what we're carrying, it's not a weakness, it's actually a strength. It's actually, it takes sometimes more strength to do that than it does to keep adding. Because it's easier to add, it's much more difficult to subtract. And here's the thing, in your life, your life is like a movie. Your life is like a storyline. And you're, you're the leading character. 
And so if you look at where your life is, and you look at where your life is going, what story are you telling? What story do you want to tell? What story do you want your life to tell? How do you want this story to end? If you continue on doing what you're doing with marginless living, not necessarily sinful, it could be, but marginless living, what story is going to be told? How is that going to come out? What's going to happen? Where does that put you? Do you like the ending of that story? Do you like where that story's heading? That relationship that you're having at the office that's emotional at this point, that's not gotten sexual, do you like where that story's going? Because play it out. The financial deals that you're doing that are a bit on the edge, that you don't think anything's going to happen, do you like where that story's going? How, play that out. Right now, not being able to, the, the, the physical ailing issues that you're dealing with that you've not told anybody about, heart palpitations, blood pressure's rising, all these things are happening because you are so loaded down. Do you like where that story's going? The amount of anxiety and stress that you're feeling in your life, do you like where that story's going? Just the simplicity of, of feeling the, the, the guilt that you feel day in and day out because of things that you can control. There are some things in life you can't control, but I'm talking about what you do have the ability to control. Those things in your life, what, what you're doing in order to medicate yourself, in order to ease yourself, in order to pace yourself, do you like where that story's going? The amount of what you're consuming in order to ease yourself, in order to calm yourself. See, we all have a story. We're all the leading character. What story, are we going, what story do we want and where's that going? And I think sometimes we don't ever just take time to self-reflect for a minute and just go, what should I stop doing? Because here's what I do believe. God gives us a season of grace. When you're dealing with sin, there's a season of grace. When somebody gets caught doing something, that's not the first time they did it. This is the first time they got caught. And there's a grace. And we all deal with junk. Listen, I'm telling you, myself, you, all of us, we all deal with stuff. Don't think, that you, don't think you're the only one in the room dealing with stuff. I'm telling you, everybody deals with junk. Everybody deals with stuff. Everybody wrestles with something. Jesus himself was tempted and tried in all ways, yet without sin. And he's the only one that was without sin. So what is it that I should stop doing? And I want to give you time today to kind of pause and to consider this. There's a great example in this from the Old, Old Testament. It's the story of Moses in Exodus chapter 18. And the first few verses there, I'm going to pick it up in verse 13 in just a minute. You see, basically, Moses is now leading the nation of Israel. There's three million Jews. Um, and what's happened is, is he's led them. So God divinely called him, sovereignly called him. We would all love to have a calling like that. Call him from this burning bush experience. And to go and to go to the most powerful nation on the face of the planet without military, without any type of power, just Moses and God. Which when we read it, we go, yeah, God's with him, so it's all fine. But if God told you to go to the White House tomorrow or to go to any national or international um, powerhouse in the world, to go to China and to declare something, what, but it's you and God, you, you would be like, what? I, I, I don't have the, how am I going to get through clearance? How am I going to get through, the, through security? How am I, I mean, I can't, I don't have access. I don't know anyone. I don't have White House security clearance. I don't, what, what do I do? I mean, there's all, it's, we're same, the same people. It's the same dynamics. It's just, 
It's just, it's just a different time and a different place. But it's the exact same emotions, the exact same thing playing out. Moses listens to the voice of God, goes, and, the, and you know the end of the story. Moses goes before Pharaoh. God dr- dramatically and in a, in a powerful fashion uh, shows his hand and his blessing upon, upon um, Moses' life. Moses leads the nation of Israel, three million Jews, from captivity, from slavery, from bondage, from the most powerful uh, uh, political and uh, uh, existing civilization of that time and takes them to lead them to the promised land, which is going to be a 40-year journey. Moses is leading them through all of this. And so he's a very powerful individual. You have to remember who he is. It will be to Moses that God will give the law. So Moses feels a personal responsibility to administrate the law and to judiciously serve over the law. That's why he's living marginless. He, he will be the one that will hear the voice of God. He will be the one that will talk with God. He will be the one that will be the closest person to seeing who God is before we see Jesus being born of a virgin in Matthew's gospel. As a matter of fact, his encounters with God will be so great and so powerful that when he comes away from the mountain of God and he comes to the people, that, he, that the glow of God, the, what, what, the, what the Hebrew calls the Shekinah, which is the glory of God, is so great upon him that people can't even look upon his countenance. So to these people, <laughs> he's everything. He is, the, he is a physical representation. He's the ultimate Christ type in the Old Testament. He's a physical re- representation of the revelation of who God is to his people. And so Moses is still a man, just like us. And Moses is still an individual, just like us. And Moses ha- loses his cool. Mo- Mo- Moses has days where he wants just to wipe the entire nation out. Mo- Mo- Moses is frustrated. Moses is mad. Moses, Moses doesn't feel equipped to do the job. He, he, he feels so ill-equipped to speak publicly because he has a stuttering issue, because he has a speech impediment, that he actually asks for his brother Aaron to be the one that would actually speak to the nation of Israel, because he doesn't even feel qualified to be a public communicator. All these dynamics are happening. So Moses has kind of had his fill with what's going on, and so he has his wife and his kids, and he has his wife, and he sends his wife back to Midian, where, he, where she came from, and with the kids, just to kind of go for a vacation, for a break, back to her family. Her father-in-law, his name is Jethro. I know it sounds like it's from Arkansas, but don't hate it. So anyhow, so goes and sends with Jethro. When he gets to Jethro, Jethro sees his daughter and his grandkids and says, I'm glad, glad that you're here, but I raised you to leave. That's what good grandparents say. Love the kids, but don't leave them here overnight. Amen. So, so don't shout too loud. All right. So anyhow, so, so he realizes there's something, there's something wrong. So then the Bible says in, in Exodus 18 that he takes his, his daughter and he takes his grandchildren and he goes back to Moses. Like, <laughs> buddy, you took them on to raise. They're yours. These are your kids. This is your responsibility. This is your deal. And uh, takes them back. When he gets there, Moses interacts with Jethro, his father-in-law, the way any son-in-law interacts with his father-in-law. He begins to tell him of all the things that he's doing, all of his work, all of his, the, 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 you read it, it's all in there. Again, don't, don't, don't read it too spiritually, just read it the way you would if you're the son-in-law to the father-in-law. And so I'm doing this and this and this, and the Bible says that Jethro rejoices with Moses. And the next day, Moses invites Jethro and says, I'm going to go with you to the office. I'm going to go with you to, because what Moses, what Moses is doing is he's judging the nation of Israel from sunup to sundown because he's the voice of God to the people. So he's got this mantle on him. And Jethro goes to observe. And we pick it up in verse 13. And so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit... And all the people stand before you from morning till evening. 
And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God, when they have a difficulty, they come to me, and I judge between one another, and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. Verse 17, so Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you do is not, he didn't say bad, he said it's not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out, for this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Jethro, the father-in-law, who's got wisdom, been around the block a few times, realizes that his son-in-law is, yes, God's using him, and yes, he's in a powerful position, but he is wearing himself out. He has no margin. He, 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 has, he has ability that's, 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 pr- that's pretty great, but the load that he's carrying, he is brimming over. And so, he, and so that's the reason why he sends his, his wife and his kids to, to Jethro's house, because, again, he's got to try to divest as much as he possibly can off of his plate. And, what he, and basically what Moses is doing, he's putting his calling of God, let's just say what it is, he's putting his vocation and his career above his family. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't go work. You should work. I don't think work hurts anybody. I don't think a 10-hour work day, 12-hour work day hurts anybody. I don't think working six days a week hurts anybody. Quite frankly, that's the way the Jews did it and have done it for decades or for, for centuries. And it, it works. The reality is, is it's not, but, but the deal is, is that, is that he's, Moses is looking at his life and says something's got to give, and so he chooses his family over this call of God. And sometimes that's what happens in our lives. We, we begin to try to rationalize things in our mind, and we begin to try to do things, and you have to stop for a minute and pause and look at the story and go, where's the storyline going? Right? Are you going to gain the whole world and yet, let, yet lose your own soul? Are you going to be God's man of power and faith among everybody else, but yet your own kids won't serve God? Are you going to, to live this out, yet you're going to, to basically let, 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 the, let the call of God be your mistress in essence and, and, and push away from your family? That's what's happening. That's the dynamic that's playing out. So he tells them, look, man, you, you're not having any margin. You're doing too much. It's gonna, these people are going to get tired of you, and you're going to get tired of these people. And you're going to find yourself there. Because why? Because you're finite. Because you're limited. And I can see Moses going, but I heard from God. And God spoke to me. And God did. Yes, all of that stuff. But there's a way to manage this. And that means that there are times in your life where you've got to minus the load. There's times in your life where you've got to decrease the load. There's times in your life where you have to do this. And so basically what Jethro does is he takes him through, um, he takes him through, through, through some principles here that uh, right here in Scripture. First of all, he, he talks to him about how to decrease the load. How do you decrease the load? Four things. One, listen. Moses has to listen to Jethro. And remember, Jethro's not a Jew. Jethro's not an Israelite. He's a Midianite. He doesn't serve the same God that Moses serves. It's a whole different story of a whole different day. But he's a man of wisdom. And what he's speaking is truth. One plus one equals two in any world at any time, even though it's not, I can't give you chapter and verse, it's, it's part of how God created the heavens and the earth. The laws of physics work. Every, ob- every object that's in, that's in motion tends to stay in motion. It's just, it's the way things work. So the reality is, is that truth is truth. And so Jethro's speaking truth to Moses, and he's telling him what he needs to do. But Moses has to listen. And for some of you today, before you crash and burn, Listen to what I'm saying to you. I may not be where you're from. I may not talk your language. You may not even serve the same God that I serve. But listen, not because it's me, but because what I'm telling you is truth today. 
If you don't create margin in your life, if you don't decrease, your 8-ounce cup that you're trying to put 10 ounces in will never work. And that something is going to have to give. And in Moses' case, that thing that was going to have to give was his family. That's a whole different set of circumstances. What is it going to be for you? Again, your ability and somebody else's ability are two different things. I, I will never be judged with, with the same level that Billy Graham is judged with because I don't have the same call. I don't have the same ability. I don't have the same capacity. That, that's not what God's called me to. God's called me to go to Germantown, Wisconsin. God's called me to come to southeastern Wisconsin. God's called me to come to Wisconsin, and this is what he wants me to do. And I'm here, palms up, until he tells me that he wants me to do something different. Why? Because I, I, I'm just, my bandwidth is just not that great, and I'm just not that smart. And so I've understood that there's a way that seems right to me, but the end thereof is death, Proverbs says. So I'm going to trust the Lord with all of my heart, lean not to my own understanding. I'm going to acknowledge him in all my ways and let him God and direct my path. But that means that sometimes in my life, I still have to manage the day-to-day details in order to keep the margins there. I got to listen. Second thing we see is that he humbles himself. He humbles himself. Again, think of how powerful Moses is. He's leading three million people. Think of how powerful he is, is that he's heard the voice of God. He's been with God. His, the, 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 the glory of God has been so great in his life that at the end of the day, uh, he, he's so, it's, it's so radiant that the people can't look upon him. The law that was given in the Old Testament, the Levitical law that was given to Moses, the Ten Commandments were given to Moses. Moses is the one. Moses is, 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 is the individual. Moses is the person. And so all of a sudden, he's at this powerful place, and his father-in-law, who doesn't have the same bandwidth, that he does. It doesn't have the same level of leadership that he does. It doesn't even serve the same God. He, he, he's, he's sitting there and going, but what, he, what Moses knows is what his father-in-law is saying to him is truth, and it's coming to him from love because he cares about him, and so he has to humble himself and go, okay, maybe I'm not doing this the right way. Maybe I, I need to change some things. And he begins to listen as his father-in-law tells him, what you're doing, it's not that it's bad, Moses, your heart's right. But you're going to expend yourself at a place that you're going to wear yourself out. You're going to wear the people out. And you're not going to accomplish what God's called you to accomplish. And so Jethro tells Moses the third thing, and that is to delegate. If you're going to create margin to decrease your load, you've got to delegate. You've got to look at your life, and you've got to ask yourself the question, what are the things that I can do without? Where are the places I can cut? Before 08 hit, I was in a room and uh, 2008, and the whole everything was coming apart. I was in Chicago in a room with about 40 other pastors, leaders, and a pastor who was leading a, a who leads a very large church, 20,000, 25,000 member congregation in the greater Chicago area, was having a conversation. And he said, before this happened, we began to watch what was happening with the economy. We saw there was unsustainability that's here, blah, 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 blah. He was talking about different, different indicators. He said and there was advisors and people that were speaking into his life. And he said, I knew that we had to make cuts because if we didn't make cuts, we weren't going to be able to survive. And so there were hundreds of people that worked for this organization. And, and uh, he said, so I had, I had all the top-level staff come in the room. I said, I want everybody's name that's on payroll to be, put them on these whiteboards all over this room. When you're done, bring me back in. So they, he leaves, they come back in. He said, okay, I want you to divide. This is everybody. Great. Okay, so I want you to divide everybody, all these names into two categories, revenue producers and revenue consumers. Who are the people that are, that are helping drive people into the, in, into the organization and in turn, that, that's what we're doing. Who are the people that are just managing once they come in? 
So when you're done, come back and get me. So they come back and get them. There's a couple people they have to kind of go. We kind of debate on what, what category they fall into. They get everybody in those two categories. He said, okay, these are all the revenue for like for, for just from a business perspective. These are all the revenue producers. These are all the revenue consumers. Yes. Okay, the revenue producers, great. They're fine. The revenue consumers, those that are basically managing the people and, 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 the, and the assets of this organization, cut 20%, and they're done today. When you're done, let me know who those 20% are. When I heard that, I thought, that's a bit harsh. But what I realized was in the context of what happened in 08, there were so many organizations that did not cut margin and bring margin and stop some things in their life prior to having to, that it, it would have not only just crippled 20%, it, 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 it would have endangered the entire organization. My point to you is, is that there are times in our lives where we look at everything that we do and we go, I can't live without this, and I can't live without this, and I can't live without this. It's like Steve Martin and the jerk. I gotta have this, and 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 I can't live without this, I can't live without this, until it's gone. Until your finances are decimated, until your marriage is decimated, until everything falls apart, and then you really find out what's essential. And that's the last thing. Only do what's essential. Only do what you have to do. Only do what you have the ability to do. That's what Jethro is telling Moses. If you read on, he will begin to tell him, here's exactly how you need to do this. You need to find capable individuals, and they're all at different levels. That's why he says some can handle 10, some can handle 50, some can handle hundreds, some can handle thousands. Figure out who those people are and allow the other issues, delegate the other issues, the things that you don't need to deal with. Delegate those issues to those other judges, to those other individuals. Delegate that to them. And only the things that need to come to you, only the things that are essential, only the things that you need to touch, you deal with. And when you look at your load of your life, what do I need to stop doing? There's a rabbi in New York that's written a book called Moses on Management, and he talks about these principles. I didn't get these principles from him. They're just right there in Scripture. But he talks about this interaction between Jethro and between Moses. That you've got to listen, that you've got to humble, that you've got to learn to delegate, and you can only do the things that really are vitally important to you. If you're in leadership or in management, you understand that the higher up you go, the fewer the things that you actually do. The greater the responsibility, but the actual things that you touch are fewer and fewer and fewer and fewer because you have to learn how to delegate. At Life Church as a senior pastor, I would love to hang out with every person, most people, uh, every person, <laughs> and, uh, and just have coffee. And if you ever get me to talking, you'll find out he really loves just to hang out and loves to talk, and he really loves to eat as much as he talks about eating. I would love to. I'd love to take all of you guys to Pizza Parlor in Fort Smith. We have a great lunch every day. It would be awesome. The reality is, is it just, I, there's, there's no way. So there's four things that I do. I'm the primary communicator. Most weekends, you're going to see me. Unapologetically, I'll do 35 to 36 weekends a year. The rest, the rest of the weekends are somebody else spe speaking. Number one, the church isn't built on me. If I die tomorrow, guess what's going to happen? You're still going to have church on Sunday, and somebody's going to be here. You guys do understand that. Like, all of us that think that we're, that we're not, that, like, we're essential to everything, to, uh, the company can't live without me. Oh, yes, they can, and they will. It's a joke amongst preachers. This is what happens, man. One day you're going to die. They're going to go to a funeral. They're going to cry over you. Then they're going to go eat fried chicken and potato salad, and they're going to move on. 
Better hope potato salad, potato, the fried chicken and the potato salad's good. Amen? I won't be there. I don't know. But I'm just saying, at the end of the day, that's what's going So what I know is I've got to keep a sustainable pace. And there's all kinds of factors and reasons why I pick 35 and 35 weekends a year. There's a whole rhythm to that because it allows my voice to stay fresh with you and me and so that we don't wear each other out, uh, which is that principle that you find there. I'm the primary vision caster. Anything that's got more than one head's a freak. If you saw a person walking in with two physical heads, something's wrong, right? So the reality is, is you got to have a person that hears the voice of the Lord and says, this is the direction I think we need to go, and let's move in this direction. But there's many, many, many vision carriers. There's staff members that are vision carriers. There's board members that are vision carriers. There's team members that are volunteers that are vision carriers. They get the vision of the church, and they're running with it. That's how that works. There can't just be one vision carrier. That's too small-minded. It's too narrow-minded. The church is not built that way. This, this isn't mine. It's, it's, it's the Lord. This is your church. Um, primary fundraiser, does that surprise you that I'm typically the one that's going to pass the plate? Yeah? And shake you down for all I can get you for, right? <laughs> and, uh, but I'm going to be the first person to give, too. And I do my very best to be at the top of whatever there is in giving so that I'm leading. Because I had a dad... That, grew, uh, that was a factory worker that looked at me and said, you better not be like so many preachers that I've seen that stand up in front of people and ask God's people to give and they don't put a dime in the plate. You better never pass the offering bucket that you don't give in. And it never, better never be said of you that you weren't leading in giving. Do you understand me? Yes, sir. Primary vision caster, primary communicator, primary uh, uh, fundraiser and uh, primary leader and many times there's decisions that have to be made that I have context to that nobody else does and I just go this is the thing I think we need to do let's walk in this direction essential there's a lot of other things I could do but they're not essential there's a lot of things I'd like to do but they're not essential again I would love just to hang out and be pastoral care I'd love just to how you doing what's going on do that I'd love to I just don't have that luxury. The Bible says in verse 24, Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. The question to you today is what do you need to stop doing? Hebrews 12.1 says it this way. Therefore we also, talking about us, so are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and sin. So sometimes they're good things, sometimes they're sinful things, which so easily ensnare us. They grab us, they hold us. And let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, so Jesus is not asking us to do what he's not willing to do. He despised the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 